How can you hone your stagecraft as a performing musician? Also, how can you continuously improve your creativity and inspiration when songwriting? We'll have some great tips on these points and more in today's episode. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. My name is Ian Cleverdon and welcome to my audio podcast series designed to help anyone who is looking for inspiration to develop their creative skills, whether professionally or as a hobbyist. In this series, I'm focusing on the creative arts. I'm catching up with musicians, artists, authors and actors, but also speaking to some in the directing and strategic management fields of this wide ranging industry. All of my guests have been carefully chosen, as each one of them has an interesting backstory from which we can all learn. If you're new to the series, please follow it on whichever podcast platform you use and go back and have a listen to the rich archive of over 30 interviews and compilations. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome British singer-songwriter and storyteller Reg Muros. Reg was described by the stalwart of the UK folk scene, Mike Harding, as one of the finest singer-songwriters this country has produced. The breadth and depth of his material is unparalleled in contemporary folk. Songs about forgotten heroes, famous names, folk legends, the climate emergency, tales from the kitchen sink and news from the world stage. If something needs to be sung about, then Reg has a song for it. I first met him many years ago when doing sound for him at some of his live performances in Northwest England and became an instant fan, not just because of the power of his songs, but also because of his storytelling in between the songs, which really helps bring his musical work to life. He's got such a great presence on stage. I caught up with Reg via Zoom in between concerts for his new song cycle, Stolen From God. It's a powerful musical work which zooms in on the transatlantic slave trade. You can find out all about this and his prolific back catalogue by visiting his website, regmuros.com. I've also put together a Spotify playlist of some of my favourite songs of Reg, if you're not familiar with his work. You can find the link to this playlist in the show notes. This series is completely independent and ad-free, so if you like what you hear and you'd like to help cover some of the production costs, including custard creams and Vimto, then please feel free to donate what you can via the Corona Sound website. A link to this can also be found in the show notes. And so to the interview. Reg Muros, welcome to Half Hour Mental. A pleasure to be here, Ian. Good to Thanks. see you. Thanks very much. As uh, one question I ask at the beginning of all my episodes, and that is, let's go back to your teenage years. What was the very first job you wanted to do? Um, I, I pretty much knew I was going to be a musician, really. I was writing when I was very young. Uh, I was making up tunes when I was probably five or six years old. And so writing was... Um, I, I never thought beyond that. I just thought I would be a writer and I'd, I'd, I'd probably be a musician. You know, I'd sort of, mm. I kind of half-heartedly learned a, a bit of guitar. I learned a bit of bass guitar and I thought, well, I'll do that, you know. And, you know, that stage, you don't think too seriously about it. You know, you're too busy trying to find, get girlfriends, you know. <laughs> and so um, I am... Um, five. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about sort of uh, teen years now, but uh, certainly um, that that was my plan. And uh, you know, I was already in a in a little group at the age of 16. I was already in a trio, so so it's kind of uh, pretty much mapped out for me, really. Who are you, were your influences at the young age musically? I can remember going to see the Beatles films. You know, I can remember 
um, Hard Days Night, I can remember Help and, and the soundtracks to them and those albums coming out. I remember I had a friend called Stephen Pepper and I have a really, really strong memory of arriving at school, secondary school, and Stephen coming up to me and saying, guess what Beatles' new album is called? You know, of course, it was Sgt. Pepper. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that was a huge uh, influence on me. But I think the breakthrough in terms of being becoming a singer-songwriter was undoubtedly Dylan. Um, I loved harmony and I, and I could, I can, if you played me a song I'd never heard before, I could pretty much guess the harmony as it went. Uh, just instinctively, I, w- I could work out where the song was going to go and I could pretty much make up a harmony on the spot. And I can remember, I remember doing that to Beatles songs. So, so the Beatles songs were very, very much a musical education. You know, it was very much a song structure, um, mood theme you know and stuff like that but then when i heard dylan which was um which was again was very early on it's probably times they were changing and um i just thought this is this is me you know this is what i want to do i want to be independent i want to i want to be a um you know i want to be the kind of singer songwriter who makes up his own songs and goes and sings them without a fuss you know i did i wasn't into the big i didn't have a big sound in my head you know, I didn't have that big Sergeant Pepper sound in my head. That that wasn't how the way I thought. The way I thought was delivering my thoughts and my uh, sharing, you know, and meeting and communicating with people. Really, and and the big I can remember the big breakthrough was uh, Positively Fourth Street, which was you know you got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend, and that album, you know, like a Rolling Stone, and the, uh, hearing those songs. I think I genuinely heard rock and roll for the first time in those songs, you know, and I, I was subjected to Chuck, Chuck Berry and uh, the Rolling Stones and all that. And But uh, for me, the sound of rock and roll is the sound of uh, like a Rolling Stone. That, that, that's mm-hmm. that kind of big wooden electric, electroacoustic sort of sound with a, with a big old jangly piano in the background and... And those lyrics, you know, you got a nerve to say you are my friend when I was down, you just stood there grinning, you know, that, that for me, um, that said to me that, that, that was my key to the world, really. That was my key to the songwriting world because it, it told me that you can sing about anything you want, you know, and, uh, if you can, if you can communicate your thoughts in, in, in that theme, in that song, um, you can you can do what you like, you know. Uh, you can you can make up your own themes, mm. and and that was massively liberating for me. So they they were the influences. I mean, I was listening to Gordon Giltrap, I was listening to Tom Paxton, um, uh, the Stones, you know, uh, all the all the, the Tremolos, all those English groups. So that those English groups were a big influence on me later on in harmony terms. The uh, Everly Brothers, um, you know, Johnny Cash. Uh, a little yeah. bit of country. My, I was lucky. My dad, my parents were very, uh, were really into music. My dad was really into the crooners. So my house was full of uh, Nat King Cole. I loved Nat King Cole as yeah. a child, you know, and uh, Nat King Cole, um, Frank Sinatra, Perry Como, uh, you know, Dean Martin, those, those big, 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 big manly singers, you know, and, uh, yeah. and I loved that. I loved that sound. And, uh, and he, and he, he would go to his mate's house and they'd listen to country music. They listened to Hank Williams, you know, although I didn't know it was Hank Williams at the time. It was m- many years later when I realized that I'd been listening to Hank Williams, you know, for quite a long time without knowing it. 
And then my mum was into the shows. She was really into social. So we had uh, the great Caruso. We had Oklahoma. My mum was musical. My grandparents were musical. My grandparents were opera singers. So I, so we had that. You know, I was surrounded by it. Uh, very much in the family. Yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah, very much in the family. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was a bugler in the army. And uh, oh, so I can remember one of the first things I ever learned was the last post. And my dad would play it, and he'd play it on the harmonica as well. And so whenever I picked up an instrument, I'd learn how to play the last post. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll be looking out for that next next time I see you live. I'll be looking at <laughs> see what I can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Obviously, music was all around the family, very much influenced, uh, as you've said. How did it then transpire into you? You know, what was your first leap into being a professional musician? Um, like I said, I had a little trio when I was um, when I was sort of sixteen, seventeen, and 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 then uh, my girlfriend at the time had a brother. Uh, who's living in North Devon, and I, and I went I went with her to to visit them one weekend, and they were they but basically there were it was a place called Croyd, a village called Croyd in North Devon, and there were three cottages as part of this sort of complex, and they were full of hippies, um, and they were all you know they were smoking dope and and playing music and doing what hippies do you know and uh, um and being away from their parents you know uh, being being liberated and free and and so that appealed to me enormously and i remember going to their out to the to one of the houses and sitting up until three o'clock in the morning playing guitars and singing crosby stills and nash songs and uh, neil young songs you know and all that and dylan and stuff and that i decided Pretty much there and then, I think I was probably 16, seven, probably 17, I think. I decided there and then I was going to, uh, I was going to move to North Devon. So I did, and I moved to North Devon, and then I, uh, then I started to do little cafe gigs and stuff like that. And then, um, and that developed. I had a band called Art, which was linked to Hawkwind. We did lots of gigs with Hawkwind, although that was never my kind of music. It was a somebody famous to hang out with you know and to get seen so we did gigs with the, with them and in fact my bass player at the time harvey bainbridge he ended up joining hawkwind and so did the keyboard player paul hales paul hales the keyboard player they both ended up in hawkwind but that kind of led me into a life of uh, performance you know into uh, i started a theater company i worked with the beeford arts center there uh doing um all sorts of things for them uh you know musical events village fates uh Kayleys, you, you name it you know i was doing it all and and uh, and at the same time i was doing solo gigs and uh working with the band and so and and then then eventually i moved to london and i moved to london in mid 70s late 70s seven, the year of punk actually 77 i moved to london and then i went before it with a vengeance you know then then i started to uh play Lots of London venues, you know, and that, and that was a good time, really, to be to be in London. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of clubs, uh, and that was it. I was in London for twenty years, so so I um, I suppose. And then the big success for me came uh, in the late eighties when I when I formed the Panic Brothers. I'd already had I'd had record deals. I had a deal with EMI. I had a deal with Arista. Uh, you know, we won. We won the EMI with Duran Duran. You know, we were we were pop stars for a, for a short period, very very unsuccessful pop stars, but with nice big fat advances in our pockets. You know, those are the days when everything was run by the corporates. You know, and there was yes. there was no such. Thing. 
the homemade recordings you know and then the panics came along and then we then we then we really took off the panics uh, was a duo was me and Richard Morton that was the first time I came across you actually because sat watching Friday Night Live and you and Richard yeah Richard that's, Morton. yeah we were we were it really we you know we uh there was probably two main uh no probably three main music uh acts on the on the comedy circuit at that time the comedy circuit grew out of the pub rock circuits and we were right on the cusp of it and we were perfect for both because we did what they called social realism meets the Ebony Brothers. We both, we wore natty black suits, bolo ties. I had my hair dyed blonde. Richard had his hair dyed black. We looked the business, you know, and we did this fantastic tight two-part harmonies. If you saw us, you'll know what oh. we did. Yeah, very punky, very fast and uh, and perfect for its time because it was... It was quick and, uh, you know, we could get into a venue as quick as a solo comedian could get into a venue and do our songs and get back out again. And we toured with Lenny Henry. We did a national tour with Lenny Henry. We uh, we played all the clubs, you know, and and because of that, the the pub rock thing, you know, we were playing with the Bellum Alligators, with uh, Juice on the Loose, all these big London uh, um, roots bands, you know, Americana roots bands. Um, we were doing stuff with them. We got signed to Topic. We were, we were, uh, we signed to Topic's, uh, subsidiary label, Special Delivery. We were actually the first signing to them. So, so we, we you know, we were rocking really. And we were doing the folk circuit, which was interesting, you know, at that time. What we did, it was almost sort of genreless in a way, you know, we, it was just really good music and it was funny. You know, we did a lot of funny stuff. You know, I made a mess of a dirty weekend. No matter who you're doing it with, take Johnny to bed. You know, uh, my Sony Walkman just walked out on me. <laughs> High quality stuff, folks. You know, all, only... <laughs> For the listeners, if they don't know, if you just search Panic Brothers on YouTube and there's some yeah, great clips. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we did a lot of social realism, in debt, living in a bivouac, you know, songs, but all in all in this fa- fabulous tight harmony. So, so we... That that was really when we both, I guess, Richard came to prominence on the comedy circuit, and I got I found my feet in the in the club circuit, you know, the, the folk clubs and stuff like that. So, uh, mm. so Richard went on because he did a lot of stand up. He supported Jack D, and he ended up on Channel Five. Still does. Yeah, yes, still that's does. Right. So musical yeah. stand up, and but then of course he worked with Bob Monkhouse. Crikey. He, he opened, he, they started, I think he, was it the first ever show on Channel 5 or something? Uh, yes. Uh, first, uh, one of the very first shows when Channel 5 appeared, He, Richard was there with Bob Monkhouse doing a show, yeah. Comedy royalty, absolutely. I know, comedy royalty. Yeah. But then, so, if you know, if we wind that on to even to sort of current times, then you... We, uh, there's still a lot of comedy actually in your live set in the way that you talk through some of the stories but the songs are very much more serious i would say and have yeah real messages well, to them how did that develop that was a that was a difficult transition actually at first because richard was a funny one you know anybody who saw us will know richard did all the jokes i just stayed quiet and played and sang um so when it when we when we stopped working together you know i i only knew that world where you where you kind of had to be funny to deliver music or you know you you had to have a bit of patter and i didn't have any patter really you know and uh so i i for a brief period i tried to write sort of funny songs and i realized i'm no good at writing funny songs you know i can't do it. richard was brilliant absolutely uh top class songwriter you know could write really funny songs i couldn't and uh so I, I tried, I, I tried, I, I don't think I ever did a gig. I kind of tried it out in front of friends and uh, 
and they all said, "No, oh, no, probably not a good idea, Reg." You know, and uh, and um, and then I sort of had a breakthrough. Uh, I had a breakthrough with a um, a song about my dad, and it was a it was a true story about my dad. And I and I I knew I was going to sing this very heavy song about my dad who had died, you know, and about he, how he'd split up with his his my mother and. And, you know, and then that all made him miserable and so on. And, uh, but I told this funny story about my dad, about, you know, his kind of eccentric ways. And, and, and it got a huge laugh. And I realized that I could, if I stuck to the truth, you know, and just told it in the way that I tell a story, it can get you a long way, you know. And I've, 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 I, so I did, but I made the truth funny. So that's all I did. You know, I didn't I didn't make up jokes. I didn't make up stories. I, I told things as they were. And, you know, I, I, I've got a good ear for, for hearing, you know, I'm a, I've been a songwriter all my life. I've got a good ear for hearing catchy phrases, catchy lines and stuff like that, you know. And so I would hear stuff that, that I noticed other people wouldn't hear mm. or I'd notice I'd see stuff that other people wouldn't see. And so I'd make a mental note of it. And then when it came to the gig, it was like, well, you know, oh, on my way to the gig tonight, you know, I saw this lorry loaded chickens. And, you know, and 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 the joke didn't, the the, the comedy didn't really have, have to have anything to do with the song at all. It was just creating a balance, you know, because if I, like you said, if I just did my songs, people would be in abject misery by about halfway through, you know, and uh, having to listen to all my morbid songs. But, by delivering them in this way, you know, it, it kind of it lent a sort of a charm to the songs, and it, and it enabled me to get through a whole evening and be entertaining, you know, uh, which which of course is what it's all about in the end, isn't it? Really, you know, it's Absolutely. not it's not a history lesson; it's, uh, it's 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 entertainment, you know. I have some of my listeners uh, who will be in the situation of in full time jobs. Uh, they're musicians. They're ones that would perform at the open mic sessions, for example. If they're thinking they want to become a full time performer, what advice would you give them, knowing what you've experienced? I suppose uh, the main thing is, you know, I mean, I've I've always believed I have something to offer. You know, I've believed in my ability to to play, my ability to to wake people up, to educate people, to inform people. You know, um, as you know, a lot of my songs are historical. There, they're about real characters, real stories. You know, and I get a lot of feedback on on that level of people saying, "Thanks for telling me the story. Thanks for awakening me to the, you know, the story of Sophie Scholl. You know, the the mm-hmm. um, the White Rose activist, and and so and so on. And uh, you know, I believe I have a kind of a purpose. You know, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna go out there. And you're going to become a professional musician. What do you have to offer? You know, what do you have to offer that isn't already there? And I'm not saying that you have to be you have to be totally unique. You know, because we're all unique anyway. We're we're all you know. There's only one Rachel Miros. There's only one Ian Cleverton. You know, and and only one Joe Smith getting up on stage for the first time in a in a open mic in Barnsley. You know, um, we but we we need you need to kind of. Um, you need to look at what it is, why you're why you're there, why why do you want to write this song? Why do you want to? What what are the audience going to get from that? You know, what are they? Uh, are they uh, okay? Your your mum thinks you're a good singer, but are you going to be able to entertain these people? Are you going to be able to? You know, there's so many so many things that a lot of people don't think about. A lot of people just think, well, if I can get a chance to get on that stage, then that'd be great. And they get a chance to get on stage, they don't really know what they're doing with it. You don't really know 
why they're there, you know. And I think it's important to have some some purpose, some some belief, you know. Um, think about why you want to do it. Think about what it is you want to offer. You know, you, you know, there there will be people out there who have great ideas. You know, have great ideas that they want to deliver musically. And uh, then I say, go for it. You know, absolutely go for it. And uh, but make sure, be good at what you do. Be be practice study and and try and deliver it in a strong and a powerful way and and uh and you know show us all what you can do i i i think you know everybody should have a go but i i don't waste your time and don't waste other people's time mm, that's great advice let's look at that art of songwriting then because you know you you well you run a lot of songwriting workshops despite you know and mm. as well as writing a you know, whole plethora of different uh, styles of song yourself as well what was the first song you ever wrote? Can you remember what that was? Yeah, I can. Uh, it, well, actually, uh, the first tune I ever wrote, I wrote the tune to a poem called The Run Runnable Stag. And, I, and then, then I was about five, five or six years old. The first song I wrote, was, I was probably about 15, and me and my mate, Terry, uh, we wrote a song called The Cindy Shake. <laughs> <laughs> And it was it was just stupid. It was just uh, you know I went to the dance just the other day. Cindy, Cindy, shake. Saw a pretty girl. She was going my way. I can still remember it. Fantastic. And um, it was kind of meaningless. And but it, it it I thought I can do this. You know I can do this. And actually, you know Terry, Terry was a sort of the sleeping partner. Really, he didn't. He wasn't really any good at anything. He not not musically anyway. He didn't have any musical bone in his body but but i i realized that he was a kind of um he was sort of catalyst for me you know by working with him by playing around with him playing our guitars together i actually made up a song and i'm pretty sure i made up all of it and then i you know very shortly after that i joined this trio and uh and and i was writing songs i mean it, it's 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 interesting to me the fact that they approached me at the beginning of the week. They said, we've got a gig at the end of the week, the Aitley Folk Club supporting Peter Bellamy. And um, I, we know you play a bit of guitar, Reg. We know you sing. Do you fancy joining and making a trio? You know, Cosby, Seals and Ash was a big thing then. Hmm. And uh, I said, all right. then." And I actually learned all I needed to learn. On, I could already play a bass line. I could, dum, 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 dum. I could do that. Hmm. But I learned the chords. I worked out that I would need four chords, uh, uh, pretty much, and a capo uh, for the gig. We were only doing 20 minutes or something. It was only about five or six songs. And um, and I realized I learned everything in a week, in a week. And in, within a week, I was up there playing. So, you know, I was kind of meant to do it, really. Two of those songs, I think I think we did about six songs. Two of those songs were original ones. Um, one was a kind of cod country song about Abilene or something. And I, and I was listening to Woody Guthrie at the time. And I think I wrote another one that was kind of a Woody Guthrie type blues. And uh, so I sort of, you know, writing was very much part of what I wanted to do. You know, that, that, that it wasn't, I didn't just want to get up there and show off. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to communicate. You know, I was a very shy child, which is, uh, unusual really I, you know I, I remember i would blush at the, at the drop of a hat i would blush if somebody spoke to me i'd blush but i desperately wanted to get up there and play which is kind of weird isn't it you know sort of it's it's a weird desire to have when when you when you feel so awkward in public and i felt very awkward but but something was driving me there was a vocation there and um it was a means of communication 
How about mm. songwriting in itself then for you? So, you know, you're approaching a, a project, an album. How do mm. you start? Where do you start from the writing process? Well, that's the um, the eternal question, what comes first, the lyrical, the, the, the tune. And uh, with me, probably the idea. There, there are so many ways of going about it and there are no rules, you know. So it's, it's a quite a difficult one to explain because one method that I've been using quite a lot recently and never used to do before is to write a lyric first and then make up a tune to it. So I'll have what, you know, essentially is a kind of rhyming uh, poem. And then I'll start to play on the guitar and uh, see see what I come up with, see if I can find something that um, that goes with it. And and that's one method, you know. That's that's a fairly straightforward method. But I've never I've never done that in the past because I always thought that was a bit of a compromise. I thought if you have your words to begin with, and then you're making up a tune to them, then you're still you're you're working to the words all the time, and you know that's kind of limiting you. So in the past, I'd be more inclined to just pick up an instrument, the, mostly the guitar. And, and play something that pleased me, you know, play something that I, that I, that was, that I enjoyed. And so uh, I'd play a, uh, you know, a, a, a progression of chords and then I'd start to sing over the top. And I think I, I mean, I'm lucky in that respect that I'm a singer in that I can, I can make something good pretty much straight away uh, by, by singing. It might be nonsense words, but I can make up a tune and what's what, um, Paul McCartney calls the ham and eggs method. You know, when he wrote yesterday, he wrote ham and eggs, da, 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 ham and eggs. You know, and I, I, I've done that a lot. Um, and then I've recorded that chord progression tune into my phone. So I've, so I've kept it. I always recommend that you always do that, that very first tune, you record it and then thought about, okay, I can't sing about ham and eggs. What am I going to sing about? Oh, yesterday, you know. Uh, and, and then come then come up with the lyrics and uh, and work that way. So you develop. Another way is to have a really strong title. You know, I have a, an album called The Goodbye Hat, one of my first albums. And I remember that with that, I just had the line, The Goodbye Hat. And I thought, well, that's a good title, you know. Um, and uh, at the time, I'd be, I, I was actually seeing quite a lot of Nick Lowe and uh, I, I knew him uh vaguely and and you know a songwriter i admire greatly and, and i was listening to his song what's so funny about peace love and understanding and i realized that the the riff was just basically a g d and a c you know um so i started playing that riff that da 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 g's g d c and and i and i great you just slowly came up with well she said she didn't want money you know i had um i had the title the goodbye hat so all i had to do really was uh fill in the space, the, the 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 space between the beginning beginning and the title. So there's another method. I mean, there are so many different ways. But again, I'd go back to this um, this thing. You know, think about what it is you want to say. How is this going to benefit you? How is it going to benefit your audience by by you putting your time and your energy into this song? You know, is is it going to um, is it you just going to create a piece of beautiful music? In which case, great. You know, go for it. You know, do you want to be a a hit songwriter, mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. have another think about that. You know, if it's just a question of making something beautiful, then 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 great and all power to you. You know, just just do whatever suits you. You know, I can take every song individually. I can help people. I, I can do this in, in songwriting workshops. I can see where people are stuck and I can help them develop the song and tell them where to go next and mm. and i can tell people how to fill that blank piece of paper you know and how to start how to get started but it's different every time 
I just wanted to ask you about that, actually, with the songwriting workshop. So what do you find with those lesser experienced songwriters that come to your workshop? They obviously want to be better. What's the hardest thing for them to overcome? Well, there's a whole list of uh, common questions. One is, how do I know when I've finished? <laughs> and I always find that's, uh, that, and I can remember that, you know, I've had that myself. When do I know a song is finished? You know, when do I know I've written it? I think a common issue would be, what do I write about? I don't, you know, I want to write a song, but I can only think up boring, oh, well, you know, I used to love her, but it's all over now. You know, think about how you can make that, make that work because I used to love her, but it's all over now is one of the most successful songs <laughs> of the last 60 years. But it's a very simple message. In fact, you know, the, some of the most successful songs are the simplest songs, you know, Stand By Me, the most successful song, possibly, uh, with the exception of White Christmas, ever written, certainly one of the most covered songs, Stand By Me, you know, When the Night Is Cold, blah, 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 you know, very, very simple. The problem that most people have is, is often is kind of, why am I doing this? You know, they, 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 they want to do it, but they don't really understand what it is that's driving them to do this. And I think you have to kind of look inside and you have to kind of, you have to give that some thought, you know, why are you doing this? And by exploring your feelings, your emotions that are driving you to do this thing, then a lot of the dross tends to fall away and you'll end up with, uh, you know, the reason. I mean, uh, Jimmy Webb, you know, I was watching him the other night. He talked about the songwriting process as being deeply intimate, private, uh, thing you know so you're going inside you're going you're going into all your private places places you wouldn't normally share with people and you're you're embarking on this journey where you're going to end up sharing mm. these thoughts these feelings these these deeply personal intimate private feelings you're going to share them with the with with the the world at large you know however big that world might be depends on its success but you know, that's what you're trying to do. So it's a good idea to get to that early on. <laughs> do you see what yeah. I mean? Absolutely, you know, get, yeah. get, get, think yeah. about that. Think about that fairly early on. When you're starting to write the song, and people get very precious about songs. And, um, you know, and I always say, look, you can throw, you can fill dustbin after dustbin after dustbin with, with dump songs. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. You know, there's nobody keeping an eye on you, watching you. You know, just, just write, just, just get going, get, get those feelings out, get those feelings out. And, you know, some people use the, the, the word association method, you know, where you just write, you just write, 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 write. Let, let your, don't think about what you're writing, getting a piece of paper, get a pencil, start writing, talk bloody, yeah. you know, word, 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 yeah. word. A stream word. of consciousness. Yeah. Stream of consciousness. And, and, uh, you know, try, try things like that. Try things like that. See what comes out. And, um, you know, there is, there's so many ways, as I said, there's so many ways and, there, and so little rules. There's no rules at all. So, yeah. yeah, think about, think about what it is you want to say, you know, how you want to say it. There's a great book by Jeff Tweedy um, called How to Write One Song. You know, one of the tips in oh, there. Oh, really? He said, yeah, it's excellent. It's a really small, you can read it probably in a couple of hours, start to finish. Mm. And one of the tips in there is give yourself 15 minutes every day just to write and just write mm. and it doesn't matter if it makes any sense and there'll be a sentence usually that jumps off the page 
And yeah, you know, I thought that's been a big inspiration to me actually, just to think, okay, just do it. You know, if you don't do it and you think I'll get round to it, it's that, it's your point about motivation and why are you doing it is it, it's all linked together. Quite often, people will will say to you, to me, well, how do you come up with these ideas? And and I I find that if you like you said there, you know, if you allow yourself, if you say right now, I'm going to clear my room, I'm going to get my pen and my piano or my guitar or whatever it is. And I'm going to write for 15 minutes. You know, once you, once you make that decision, you'll be really surprised what comes out, mm. you know, and I, and it's the same for me as it is for anybody else. You know, if I, you know, late at night, everybody's gone to bed, I get my guitar, go in the lounge, you know, I start playing. I, right. Now I'm going to write all this stuff that you, that is underneath, you know, and you're keeping inside, all of it will start to come out and suddenly you'll, you'll find yourself with, too much choice, you know, too many things to write about. And then you have to choose which one am I going to go with? You know, it is, it is very much about, you know, I talk about the, the leap of faith. It's very much about, you know, just, just take that leap and just, you know, do it and see what happens. And like I say, if, if it's no good, dump it, you know, and do it again tomorrow night, you know, uh, you, and just let yourself expand in, into song world. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I've got one final question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, knowing yeah. what you know now and all the everything, the experience that you've talked through, what one piece of advice would you give that young version of yourself that was just starting out into the route of professional music? I think probably the advice that was given to me very early on, which was follow your heart. You can chase the money, you can chase the fame, you know, you can chase uh, the latest fad, the latest trend, but but really the thing that's going to stand you in the best stead in the future is if you go with your heart, go with your instincts, go with your feelings. I've considered myself very fortunate that I can make a living out of being a, song, a singer-songwriter because I know it's very difficult. And I know for most people it's impossible. And I know for me at one point it was all, it seemed impossible. But I haven't got there by being commercially minded. God, <laughs> you know, I'm not commercially minded at all. I've got there by believing in what I do and by, by following my heart basically and doing what is important to me and what keeps me, what keeps me sane, what keeps me safe, what keeps me healthy is, is creating music, creating songs, writing songs and, uh, stick with that, you know, just stick with your, believe in what you do. Reg, that's been a yeah. fantastic uh, insight into songwriting, into your career. Where can people find out more about you? Well, regmuros.com, uh, my my website will give you all the information you need. I'm also on Facebook, Reg Muros Music. I, uh, my manager tells me I'm also on Twitter, although I've got no idea. <laughs> it comes up on my phone, but I have no idea how to use it or what to do. But my I have a great manager, Katie Whitehouse. And she runs all of this for me. And so I'm on Twitter. I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram. You know, you'll find me all over the place, but the website is the place for gigs. And, uh, if you just want to come and get some of this all, you know, we're doing, um, doing a, a, a five day workshop in, I'm doing a five day workshop with Boo Huardine in January, uh, at the beautiful Halsey Manor down in uh, Somerset. And, uh, people are interested in that. They can find all that information on my website. Great. Thanks ever so much for joining Half Our Mental. My pleasure. Thank you, Ian.
One of the key points I picked up from Reg was how important it is to hone your stagecraft. If your songs have a story to tell, make sure that you bring the meaning to life in your introductions to the songs. It really adds value to the songs for your audience and ultimately it can lead to extra sales. Having seen and worked with Reg live on a number of occasions, he is, in my opinion, one of the very best at this storytelling approach. His songwriting tips were also invaluable. Interestingly, his advice about writing had great parallels with Paul Finch, the best-selling author who featured in my last episode. Just write and see what happens. You can review and redraft your work later, of course, but if you don't get something on the page, you won't have anything to work with. My thanks go to Reg for his time and great advice. Don't forget, you can have a listen to his music in the Spotify playlist that I've curated, which is linked in the show notes. Don't forget to visit Reggie's website, regmuros.com, to find out more about his prolific career and visit his online shop. Reg is regularly on tour, so do check his gigs page to find out where he's playing near you. There's also a link in the show notes to his Patreon page. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the series wherever you get your pods and do review the back catalogue if you are new to the series. You can leave feedback about the episode through social media by searching for Half Hour Mentor or via the email link in the show notes. I'd love to know what you think of these episodes, so please do get in touch and rate and review the podcasts wherever you're listening to them. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye for now. 